tonight on 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes, the centerpiece of major broadcasts on world events. 60 Minutes gives you the biggest headlines and best storytelling on TV and now on your schedule. President Trump's campaign. The term fake news. Role Russia may have played. From hard news and politics to lifestyle and pop culture, 60 Minutes gets the real story on America's most prevalent issues. The wall on the Mexican border. Humanitarian issues. Hear the 60 Minutes podcast on demand. Download and subscribe at the new radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and KPMG. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. This week, we showcase two stories that highlight the future of economic growth and job creation and revitalization across our community. And these are stories that touch on topics we oftentimes take for granted. If the Phillies ballpark is two feet underwater, they'll know. That's Tony Bartolomeo, an engineer and business leader who has dedicated his professional life to ensuring that infrastructures around the world and across our 11-county neighborhood of northern Delaware and southern New Jersey and southeastern Pennsylvania are the best they can be. Now, Tony can jest about managing the water level and the floodplain at the home of the Philadelphia Phillies, a world-class baseball stadium in South Philadelphia known as Citizens Bank Park, because when he and his team of experts do their job well, then the outcome of their work is pretty seamless. It's when engineers make a misstep in any regard, that's when people notice, and even tragedy can occur. As president and CEO of Pannoni, a global engineering firm with headquarters and deep, proud roots in Philadelphia, Tony understands that most of us don't appreciate, heck, most of us don't even think about the engineering expertise that goes into the design and construction of arenas and highways and buildings and other various infrastructures that make our region and society overall what it is today. In Greater Philadelphia, there are more than 25 leading engineering firms, and the Pannoni team is at the top of the list. We connected with Tony at his alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania, which has one of the most stellar engineering programs in the country. We sat down at the Pennovation Center, where entrepreneurs and engineers and other kinds of innovators from all walks of life are getting the training they need, and they're putting it into practice, revolutionizing the industry. His company, Pannoni, is a homegrown success story, celebrating 52 years in business. Here, Tony explains how his company has evolved over time and what the future holds. The firm was started by Chuck Pannoni as a one-person structural engineering firm in 1966, and the strategy for growth was do good work, and if other opportunities arise beyond structural engineering, let's service the client for those particular needs in engineering and grow the firm that way. And we were very successful over the years of adding certain technologies, disciplines, then geographic locations, and getting into different areas of engineering as time went by. And right now, we're a strong civil infrastructure engineering firm and cover every aspect of infrastructure from transportation energy, building systems, 
water resources, environmental surveying, 3D visualization, just a, a number of areas where we practice and we're able to integrate them all very effectively internally for servicing a client's needs. Your team has worked on a variety of projects, I suspect hundreds over the years. Is there one or two that stand out for you? Could be one from this past year, could be one from 10 years ago that really stand out for you of a project that you're most proud of? Well, one, because I love baseball, is the Philadelphia Phillies ballpark, Citizens Bank Park. We were the civil engineers for that ballpark, which is going on 12, 15 years old now, I think. And what was exciting about it was the pride we took in being part of that team. And when people see the ballpark, their understanding of what a civil engineer does has to be explained in a certain way. And the way I do it is imagine this beautiful ballpark. You can see it. A three-dimensional ballpark floating in space. Civil engineers make it such that when that ballpark lands, it plugs in and it works. And what that goes to are utilities, stormwater management, grading, ingress and egress, both vehicle and pedestrian, utility relocation, streets had to be closed down and all utilities relocated for it to be able to land. Now, a fascinating aspect of that park is the field is 15 feet below street level and the groundwater table is like 12 feet below street level. So we had to design a groundwater suppression and pumping system in order to keep the water table below the field and it goes out to the storm drain and out to the river. But we have backup generators, emergency pumping systems, such that if everything we designed failed, the field would be a couple of feet underwater. But there was the architectural aspect to having people walk in at street level and look down onto the playing field, and also for dispersion of the crowd. Maybe half the people go up to their seats, half the people descend down to their seats. But it's a feature in a ballpark that the architects certainly apply in many, many places. In fact, the Philadelphia Eagles Stadium is constructed where the field is at street level. But if you've been there, you cannot set eyes on the field until you elevate, escalate, or walk up steps to a certain level. And then when you actually can see the field, you're looking down into the bowl, into the field. Interesting. And it's one of those uh, observations, whether you're at Citizens Bank Park or Lincoln Financial Field, where the average observer may not necessarily appreciate. You're looking through a really unique lens. And what it strikes me about that is um, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of technology that goes into how an engineer like you and your team are looking at a project like a ballpark and your description earlier of sea level and below sea level and the water systems that have to be in place as a result of that. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about the innovation that goes into engineering and how it's evolved over time because it's truly remarkable. Matt, the way I look at that is we are in engineering services business. We practice engineering. We also are in the digital engineering services business, and we're also in the digital services business. And the way that flows, the way we see it, is engineering services have been tried and true and proven for centuries now, right? They get built, they get designed, constructed, operated, and maintained. Well, now, as you can see here at Penovation, the impact that the digital world is having on all of us, and even in our profession, 
we are moving into the digital arena and have for a number of years in engineering services. For instance, automation of calculations, where it may have taken three people five workdays each to do a particular task. Now a machine can learn how to do it, and you can cut that down to four hours. And that's the digitalization of our practice. And it's happening, and it will continue to happen. And what firms like ours look for, where are their opportunities to get into digital engineering services, and in fact get into digital services that may not be directly related to engineering. We're masters of design visualization. Beginning with actual design data, we create immersive environments and breathtaking vistas. Technology and engineering, they go hand in hand. From the days of pencil drawings and blueprints, engineers today are using revolutionary digital engineering services to visualize what may be virtually possible to what will be in reality. So, Tony, as you know, our region is always improving and growing and evolving. Share with us how the engineering industry and firms like Pannoni use these kinds of digital technology services and tools to help with the designing of infrastructure projects across our community. I don't have it offhand, but I believe there is a, a report card. ASC broke report cards down by state. But in this region, when you look at it and look at some of the traffic congestion issues we face and the cost of congestion is significant in this country. So right now we have commutes and rush hour both ways coming into the city from the west and going out to King of Pressure from the east. And there is no reliable time where you can say, OK, if I wait until 10 a.m., I can get from Philly to the turnpike in 15 or 20 minutes. You don't don't know what will happen because of the congestion. An accident takes a lane out, you're backed up for miles, right? So I think that we are looking in the region. I know Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission looks at this very deeply, and I think they do a great job on public transit, on commuters, on our road systems uh, capacity, capabilities. I know PennDOT works on turning our systems into as smart as they could right now, and they're going to do nothing but get smarter, our transportation systems and smart grids. We're so fortunate in this region not to experience too many brownouts. Uh, when, when you look at some other areas of the country, the brownouts are not infrequent. Okay, And we're also very blessed to have such tremendous water systems for water supply. In others, water is such a precious commodity. We don't have that problem here. So I think we have a sound transportation system that if we can work out some of the issues associated with congestion, we'll make it even better because the economic development part of this, you know, one of the uh, reasons for the great expansion of our ports here in the region is access, right, to so many millions of people within an eight-hour drive. Can you imagine if in some areas the containers get off a ship, loaded onto a truck, and they're stuck in traffic? Right. And it really cuts down on the advantage they have of being geographically where they're located. Here, we don't have that as prominent of a problem, but it could be made better. And I think that will make us even more competitive and maybe expand the radius and population we can reach if we had an even better freight transportation system, be it rail or truck. So those are all things that impact our economy significantly, and they tie back right to infrastructure efficiency. The Camden waterfront used to be just that, the place where a body of water met the banks of the city of Camden. 
It was a pier and not much more. Over the past 25 years, Camden and its waterfront have seen peaks and valleys, and it has continuously made progress in its quest to become a true destination for recreation and entertainment, for active young people and families and all kinds of dynamic lifestyles, and for business growth too. As Tony mentioned, there is a true renaissance that's happening in Camden. From the cool new 76ers training facility, the Adventure Aquarium, and the BB&T Pavilion, where some of the world's biggest artists rock out on stage, to the amazing new residential and retail spaces, and the ongoing transformative investments from companies like Campbell Soup and Cooper Health and Rutgers and Rowan, to international businesses like Holtec, and to leading corporate citizens like American Water Company. The Camden Waterfront continues to actively engage the community and tourists alike. And the Pannoni team is proud to have played a part in these revitalization efforts. Thanks to their innovative engineering initiatives, Camden's waterfront epitomizes successful economic development. And it captures the spirit of our growing Greater Philadelphia program. It's all about enhancing the economic vibrancy of our region by attracting new businesses and new jobs. And we do it by showcasing and building on our rich history while building for the future. So, Tony, shifting gears, let's talk a little bit about talent. Without a, a, you know, a talented workforce, these kinds of redevelopment projects, they couldn't take place. Share with us how, from your view, the engineering industry is attracting new talent and teaching that next generation of worker. Well, I meet with a lot of our collegial competitors with whom we often team on large projects, and there's almost a commiseration of how we can't find people and we have to kind of hire them away from each other. Uh, That happens, but the effort to interest young people to a greater extent in careers in engineering is going on. It's not an easy sell, in a sense, because it's not an easy curriculum to follow or to be involved with, right? Very challenging, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I know a fellow who spoke before a group of engineers. He became an attorney, and he said he started out in engineering, but his problem was he had three strikes against him. He didn't like physics, and he wasn't good at math. (laughs) So he was right. (laughs) But... uh, but the, the thing I see with our young people, let's take our young people at Pannoni. They are so turned on to working on infrastructure projects because they know these projects, when they come to fruition and are built, will have a positive impact on people's lives, on the environment. They understand the big picture because we shine the light on it to them. I said, you know, if you come to work every day because you have to, you may as well enjoy what you do and with whom you're doing it but also get gratification out of your daily work is impacting communities significantly because these projects wouldn't be going into place unless a water system was going to improve the community, a road was going to help the community, a building was going to provide new space for a community. So the impact we have on people in infrastructure engineering is a one-to-one relationship, right? And I think that makes a difference to me And I I know it does to my colleagues because they take pride in what they do and knowing the positive impact on people's lives that their skills and their work has. To hear more about how the future of engineering is helping to improve critical problems in our region's infrastructure, check out our full interview with Tony at 1210wpht.com slash select. Next up, 
We'll dive into our region's true global highway. Greater Philadelphia is an economic powerhouse. As citizens of Philadelphia, we contribute to the fifth largest economy in the world with a population of approximately 6.3 million people. For more information on Philadelphia's economic impact, visit selectgreaterphl.com or listen to the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast at radio.com. Liberty Property Trust, a national firm with Philadelphia roots, is one of the nation's largest commercial real estate companies, owning 100 million square feet of industrial and office space. Learn more about Liberty at libertyproperty.com. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Temple University, a proud supporter of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. One in seven Philadelphians are Temple graduates. Learn more about Temple University at temple.edu. Welcoming new neighbors to the community is part of who we are. It's the Philadelphia way. That's why Select Greater Philadelphia invites you to their annual Welcome to Greater Philadelphia cocktail reception. It's our chance to say thanks for making Philadelphia your home. Thursday, October October 25th, an evening filled with meaningful conversations and new friendships. Register at selectgreaterphl.com slash events. Presented in partnership with the H&K Group, a dynamic group of integrated companies providing complete construction solutions. Hi, everybody. It's Matt here to let you know that our growing Greater Philadelphia program would not be possible without the support from Citizens Bank. You know, the active engagement from Citizens Bank with this radio and podcast initiative and with all of our efforts at Select Greater Philadelphia to attract new businesses and new jobs to our community, it's really exceptional. Simply put, without the partnership we have with Citizens Bank, we could not do what we do. And we certainly cannot deliver these stories of growth and innovation. The people of Citizens Bank bring practical financial experience and deep industry expertise to each banking relationship. You can learn how Citizens can help your company reach its potential by visiting citizensbank.com slash commercial. So please join me in thanking Citizens Bank for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia and for helping us bring you this growing Greater Philadelphia program. Blank Rome is an AmLaw 100 firm with 13 offices and more than 600 attorneys and principals who provide a full range of legal and advocacy services to clients. Learn more about Blank Rome LLP at blankrome.com. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia. From the city to the suburbs, stories about how our region is thriving and transforming. Though we often don't think about how most of our goods get to our kitchen tables, the act of trading and importing is how we're able to live and function. And we've been participating in the import-export industry for centuries, even right here in Greater Philadelphia. We actually have three major shipping ports servicing our region. And one of the newest? Well, it's a massive project that's transforming our community's economy. And it's creating new jobs. It's the Paulsboro Marine Terminal in Gloucester County. The first major port to be constructed on the Delaware River in more than 50 years, the Paulsboro Project is creating not only jobs, but new connections between our region and the world through global trade. We connected with John Berzicelli, a New Jersey assemblyman and one of the civic leaders at the Gloucester County Improvement Authority who helped make this project a reality. He shared with us just why this new port initiative is so vital to our community. 
that I always remind people that although this port is in Paulsboro, this is a real regional project. This is something that's important to the Delaware Valley as we continue to reconnect with the world. And the Delaware River is a global highway, and that's what gets us out to these world markets and brings goods in and sends goods out. So this uh, investment on the part of the people in New Jersey is well-placed. I know as a native to southern New Jersey and the greater Philadelphia community, jobs are really important to you. Talk with us a little bit about how the job impact will roll because of this uh, new advancement at the Port of Paulsboro. Well, jobs are everything. And with my other hat on, and you know, in the political world, we always are reminded what Adelaide Stevenson once said, which was the best social program is a job. So in a case of a deep water port, the jobs that are created there are jobs that a person can raise a family, sustain a family on. So to give you an example, I mean, I would tell you in phase, because we're really just completed phase one of this facility which is an 850-foot length wharf. And during that period of time, I mean, there are probably 350,000 hours worth of labor into that for the trades. And now the present tenant of the port, which is doing very well, moving a lot of cargo in and out, probably 100, 150 people go to work there on days that the ships are calling. So as this continues to evolve, those jobs are good jobs, and they're real jobs, and people can live with those jobs. On a windy, brisk morning in early March of 2017, John was among the team who helped to announce the opening of the port as a group of eager workers stood proudly in front of a massive cargo ship. The future is bright, and as we leave here focused to do more, others will benefit from those efforts. So to all of you, a big thank you. And this day, we mark officially the Paulsboro Marine Terminal is open for business. Helping to celebrate this milestone moment was Southern New Jersey native and Senate President Steve Sweeney. It's hard to believe that this is this day is finally here, that the ship is here, but this is what we dreamed about, giving Paulsburg a tool to recreate itself. The men and women behind me are the first people here working on this site. The numbers will multiply by the time we're done to over a thousand people. Think about that, a thousand good paying jobs for the people in this region. John, I I know this is a multi-step project. It's very complicated, and it's being done in parts. And part one has already kicked off. Share with us what's coming up next in phase two. Phase two speaks of where the real future is. Having the wharf at only 850 feet, which if you were to look at it, it seems very large, but it can dock really just one ship at a time. And ships don't move like trucks across the highway. It's not always a certainty. Its arrival can be a day late, two days late. So you can't just book it and say, you know, you're here Monday to Tuesday, and then the next guy's coming in Wednesday. It doesn't work like that. So we need bigger and more wharfage. So the intention was always to be three times that size. So the case has been made that the business demand is there, and the state of New Jersey has now borrowed probably in the neighborhood of about $174 million that will complete and build the port out. And that'll take a, probably a year, year and a half, two years to build. So it'll be two more wharfs plus an additional barge wharf on the mouth of the Mantra Creek. And that'll allow this 160, 170 acres, give or take, to be fully productive because you'll be able to dock multiple ships at one time. And what's the timeline for phase two? Is it over a, a five, eight-year period? won't take that long. With the day we start driving piles, realistically, it's 18 months, 24 months, depending on weather. Because interestingly, we all get an education in these things, you know, who builds a port every day. But we have to be very, very cognizant of fish, for example, sturgeon. 
been around forever. So there are periods of time where you can't drive piles into the river because you'll disturb the fish as they're migrating. The shad move up at a given point in the year. So there are certain windows of time where you can't be driving piles. So all that has to be carefully coordinated. Sometimes that can cost some time and, and cause delays. But that's all worked into the plan. So figure the first day we're driving piles, 18 months to two years, additional ships are docking. Talk with us a little bit about what's happening there now. What kind of materials are being imported or exported from uh, the port in Paulsboro? I can tell you the day the first ship arrived, it was a windy, blustery day. Uh, We gathered on the wharf for the official ribbon cutting, and the ship blocked the wind from all the dignitaries and townspeople that were there. And the first ship began to unload what are steel slabs. They're brought into this country. I mean, we would all prefer that steel was started and everything was finished in one place. That's not the world today. So these steel slabs come from other parts of the world. They are placed onto what are called unit trains. We have three miles of track on the port site alone, so the stuff can move out seamlessly. In fact, we're about to do some major upgrades in rail in town to take rail traffic out of town and get it directly onto the main line. So this steel slabs travel from Paulsboro, New Jersey, out to western Pennsylvania, out to Indiana. And they are remelted in plants that hire and work American good-paying union jobs to turn this raw steel into goods that go into our economy. So this is truly a global operation. We have material coming in from around the world through the gateway of the Port of Paulsboro, Gloucester County, New Jersey, and across the country into different production uses and ultimately into homes and buildings and places of business. Going on every day, Matt, and uh, even up and down the river, you see the state of Pennsylvania, the city of Philadelphia, you're talking about operating facilities on the Philadelphia side. That complements everything we're doing. You know, We don't look at that as competition. We look at that as being healthy because the more robust activity that occurs, everybody benefits. So this economy is driven. And frankly, the port of New York, New Jersey is at capacity. They can't handle anymore. So our competition really goes south to Baltimore, goes to Virginia. And we have more things to do in this region, which is upgrading rail so goods can move quicker. Surface stuff with the uh, trucks are good. Paulsburg Port, for example, links directly onto 295, so no truck traffic goes through the municipality at all. We're in a good position as far as being able to move stuff out. But we have to think, we have to think regionally in these matters, and rail's a big deal. Talk with us a little bit more about the deepening of the Delaware River, because that is a, a milestone moment that's allowing additional growth. It's a very interesting topic for me, because there was a time where myself and uh, Senate President Sweeney and others were not favorable to dredging, because initially when it was discussed, our refineries didn't need the depth because the ship that they could get up to Delaware, because of limitations of the bridge height and other things, moving to the new depth was not very exciting for people. Our position has since changed on that. So the, the deepening seems like it's going to help. Paulsburg Port was planned on the original depth, but is also designed to handle the new depth. So these wharfs that are being built were built in anticipation of the new depth. Can't hurt. So, you know, there are still limitations on the river because the number of ships that may want to call into Philadelphia can't because they can't get under the Commodore Barry Bridge, for example, or can't get under the uh, Delaware Memorial Bridge or the Ben Franklin. So there are some limitations, but there are not many. So I think the deepening helps. You know, in retrospect, we changed our position because we think it's of now benefit. That's great. And more competitive to go from 40 to 45 feet and allows for some flexibility. Yeah. All of it contributes. And also, too, it ended up being proven that from an environmental standpoint, it could be done safely. Because there was some original concern that if we dug the river incorrectly to grab that extra five feet, that not only would sediment be stirred up, but there was a chance that it could open up the aquifer. 
and many of our municipalities on both sides of the river count on that. So if you dump the bottom of the river into the aquifer, as opposed to having several feet of filter, maybe not so good things happen. That's borne out not to be true, at least not to this point. So we're going to take advantage of the deepening to our advantage collectively, both sides of the river. Port of Paulsboro, right here in the southern New Jersey neighborhood of our community, is helping our region grow its proud tradition of serving as a true gateway to the world. And you can hear more of our interview with John Berzicelli, along with all of our stories featured right here on Growing Greater Philadelphia at 1210WPHT.com slash select. Growing Greater Philadelphia is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia. We're a council of the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, and we're the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. We work to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our neighborhood. Special thanks to our investors and partners who believe in our efforts, especially the team at Citizens Bank, for their highly engaged support of this podcast and of all of our efforts at Select Greater Philadelphia. You can learn how Citizens can help your company reach its potential by visiting citizensbank.com slash commercial. I also want to thank our program producers, Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez, and our writer, Samara Grizel, and our researcher, Steve Boucher. Learn more about Select Greater Philadelphia by visiting selectgreaterphl.com and tune in anytime to this radio and podcast program at 1210wpht.com slash select. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Comcast NBC Universal, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. This year, Comcast will open the doors to the Comcast Technology Center, a world-class workspace for the company's growing workforce of technologists, engineers, and software architects, and home to the new Four Seasons Hotel Philadelphia at Comcast Center. Learn more about Comcast at ComcastCorporation.com. Deloitte LLP is a proud supporter of Select Greater Philadelphia. Deloitte's Philadelphia practice provides audit, consulting, tax, and advisory services, and supports the region's growth and development through their corporate citizenship efforts. Learn more at Deloitte.com. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Green and Spiegel, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Green and Spiegel is a full-service immigration law firm that specializes in helping businesses grow in the Philadelphia region and nationally through global corporate migration. Learn more about Green and Spiegel at gns-us.com. Drexel University is a proud investor of the Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Drexel University engages with students in universities around the world and is home to the Academy of Natural Sciences, the nation's oldest major natural science museum and research organization. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu or call 215-895-2000. Looking to rent a space without breaking the bank? You're in the right place. Philadelphia has a lower cost of doing business than any other major U.S. city, including more favorable rental rates for retail, office, warehouse, and industrial spaces. For more information on Philadelphia's affordability, visit selectgreaterphl.com and tune in every Friday morning at 5 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. 
Every Sunday, Face the Nation brings you in-depth interviews with the biggest names in Washington. Kellyanne Conway, Nancy Pelosi, Lindsey Graham, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You'll never miss an episode with the weekly podcast from CBS News Radio. Tune in to hear moderator Margaret Brennan and the country's top policymakers discuss today's toughest issues. What is going on? Is this political conspiracy or is this just incompetence? The Face the Nation podcast. Download and subscribe at the newradio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts.